Welcome to the Binge Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha, and joining me as always, fresh from crossing the narrow sea, is Romeo Mora. Romeo, how was your venture across the narrow sea? It wasn't as perilous journey as I would thought. I mean, I am serving the one true queen of all the Westeros, Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen, first of her name, Mother of Dragons, the Unburnt Breaker, Chain Khaleesi the Great, Grass Sea, Protector of the Seven Kingdoms, Queen of the Andals, and the First Men. Damn, you had that ready, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I think I got all of them. First take, too. Look at that. Well, if you haven't picked on it by now, we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is an American fantasy drama television series that aired on HBO from 2011 to 2019. Creator David Benioff and D.B. Weiss adapted the series from George R.R. Martin's series of fantasy novels called A Song of Ice and Fire. Set on the fictional continents of Westeros and Essos, Game of Thrones has a large ensemble cast and follows several story arcs throughout the course of the show. The first story arc follows a war of succession among competing claimants for control of the Iron Throne of the Seven Kingdoms, with other noble families fighting for independence from the throne. The second concerns the exile last descendant of the realm's deposed ruling dynasty's actions to reclaim the throne. The third chronicles the threat of the impending winter, as well as the legendary creatures and fierce peoples of the north. Joining us to talk about Game of Thrones is Greg Jackway. Greg, how's it going? Uh, It's going very well. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, we're very happy you're here. This is the first time you're on the show. Nowadays, since me and Romeo only do about 12 episodes a year now because of my new baby. (laughs) kind of restricts the the workload here. We told ourselves we got to get at least one new guest every year. Is he the one? Do we have another one who had a first timer? I think he's the one. Yeah. All right. We did it. We met our quota. (laughs) Happy to help for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And enjoy that time with the baby because we can watch the show right now for a few years and then you just got (laughs) to turn the head away if you you decide to watch later on. So So. you have three good seasons of House of the Dragon and then it's that's it. That's it. I raised my kids during the, the time that the show was on and they were at that point where they were curious about what was going on, especially once the dragons came around. Mm. But uh, then it just got to the point where I'm like, hey, it's nine o'clock on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> it's time to, time to go upstairs. Yeah. Dad's going to watch a show uh, for sure. So, Well, uh, what inspired you to start watching Game of Thrones? So I I grew up in the 80s, uh, had a, a VHS copy of Excalibur, really enjoyed the whole swords and uh, sorcery uh, ideas. Uh, I'm a fan of history, a uh, big fan of, of of King Arthur and, and definitely the uh, the English, the rise of England is how it's uh, how it's changed over the years. And definitely the War of the Roses was something that I just kind of studied a little bit in history. And so I was curious about Game of Thrones when I saw the preview on HBO. I knew nothing about it. I knew that there was a series of books. But then being a fan of Lord of the Rings and Sean Bean and just, you know, and swords and stuff from Excalibur, it seemed like that was a show I, I needed to at least check out. Uh, it seemed like it was, uh, it was some cool scenery. I didn't know that there was any element of uh, magic. To me, it seemed like it was a little more grounded at the beginning. And that first episode, for sure, well, uh, watching it, I said, okay, yeah, this is uh, for me. And so uh, I went from there. I knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who George R. R. Martin was. I didn't know the book series at all. I knew some of the actors. I knew Peter Dinklage. And then, you know, the, you had your main actor who was basically the selling point is Sean Bean's in right. this. Knowing Sean Bean's history of filmography, I should have known. I really should have known, really. But yeah, it was, I I remember asking some um, close friends that I've known for years online. I was like, what do you guys think about Game of Thrones? One of them was like, well, it's like watching the nerdiest hour of television every week. And I said, okay, well, let's see what this first episode is like. I guess I underestimated my own nerdiness because I thought I was 
like, this isn't nerdy at all. This is incredible. Like, I've been seeing all these really great costumes, these really interesting characters and this world building. And the cinematography is just beautiful. You know, they're filming in all these amazing places around Europe. So right away, I, I was hooked. But yeah, again, I knew absolutely nothing. I didn't bother looking online to read up information about it. I just dove right in. And yeah, I never looked back. Romeo, you're nodding your head. You're saying you knew nothing about yeah. it as well? Well, I knew about Game of Thrones because at the time I watched a lot of G4 and I was reading a lot of stuff on IGN and stuff because by the time I started watching, I think the Red Wedding already happened and that kind of got spoiled for me. It still didn't take me from the impact when I actually watched it. So it was like this big culture phenomenon and I think we were starting talking, David, because we talked about Walking Dead. Like, oh, if you like Walking Dead, you should probably check out Game of Thrones. So I'm like, okay. And back in the day before HBO Go, which is now HBO Max, was commonplace and people had like Rogues and stuff. My cable company had said, hey, we're streaming available the entire four seasons. But it was expiring right before, I think, the season five premiere. So I started binge watching the entire series. Didn't know about um, Ned Stark's execution. And which leads to our next question, what got you hooked was that death. Okay, so what happens next? Because he's your hero. When your hero dies in these epic fantasies, that's the end of your story. But there's three more seasons after this going into fifth. So what happens next? How are the parts going to tell the story? I will say this, uh, having the Red Wedding spoiled for me did not diminish the impact because it was much more brutal than what was described in those articles. It is my dream one day at my wedding during the reception to play the Reigns of Castamere. <laughs> I was <laughs> wondering where this, I could have gone so many different directions. As okay. the food is coming out, I just want, there's a, solo viol- yeah, a solo violin starts playing. Um, yeah, that's pretty much cemented. I mean, there were other things too, because there's Daenerys Targaryen coming out of the fire with the dragons, which we were told the whole first season, hey, these dragons, they're fossilized. But yeah, those, yeah, so being much binge watching and then coming to the hard realization, now I'm going to have to wait week to week for yeah. a new installment and then a whole year in between seasons. I didn't mention this, but yeah, I came in when they already wrapped up two seasons and you started from the very beginning, right? I started from the beginning. Yeah. I watched the first episode and then the surprise at the end of the first episode even showed me that this was, there was one going to be an HBO type show, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't going to be like your typical, like, you know, sword and sorcery show that's on network TV, that which is there's limiting and, and you know, until into, into, into budgets and what they can get done every week. This felt more like a movie. You felt like you were sucked into, and I wanted to know more. And so then I went back and got that book uh, and I started reading. And so I read the first season, I finished an episode and then I read the book up until whatever had happened in that episode. And then I stopped reading to watch the next episode. So the first season, I kind of like let the show guide me mm-hmm. through the book. And then I went to the book for detail. And it, and it, it you know, for those of you that have read the books, and, and I know David, you have, and Romeo, you haven't, yeah. but the first book tracks pretty well. Oh yeah, um, it does. With the, with the show. And mm-hmm. so you feel like you're kind of getting a little bit more detail from the mm-hmm. book on what you're watching. And then what you're watching is giving you a little visualization of what you kind of see in the book. So that first season, I was back and forth every week and I would end up I would I would read and then I would watch the episode for a second time mm-hmm. it was like I was studying I wanted to get the level of detail that I did going back to when I was a kid with Star Wars where there was three years between a Star Wars movie and you're like well what happened between mm-hmm. Empire and Return of the mm-hmm. Jedi there's no books there's no author I mean George Lucas is out there that can tell us and everything right <laughs> but really you had to kind of find it yourself and you had mm-hmm. to talk about it I hadn't found that with any other show and I, f- 
felt like I could do that with Game of Thrones. And so the amount of detail and everything was yeah. was something where I wanted to know more. Game of Thrones came at a time where the internet, Twitter, and Facebook, you can easily find a group. This came at a time where you can have that connectivity. Where fandoms of the past, you had to go to a specific forum to discuss your fandom. They were lucky that they came out the way they did because if they came too early, I don't think it would have the following that it has now. And if they came too late, like it came later, I think they would have been lost in the shuffle of other creative things because this was a result of, hey, Lord of the Rings did really well. It won Oscars. Let's get something for ourselves. And this is the only praise I will give the creators is they were smart because the way that they adapted these books was to make sure that, I think it was a quote, they didn't want just that fandom of the books. They wanted to appeal to moms and I think he said NFL-like fans to the show. So you were never questioning whether or not if this was nerdy or not. It was just conversations and a plot line that was easy to follow. It wasn't muddied by other typical tropes of fantasy that I think did well for this series because if it went too much say the Tolkien is type of feel I don't think it would have caught on as much as Game of Thrones did because in a way they went out to make the anti Lord of the Rings in order to create something that was unique and special now that everyone's trying to copy they did bait people you're watching this whole season this first season with no magic. You haven't met Melisandre yet. Don't know anything about Lord of the Light in general. And like you mentioned earlier, the dragons are, those eggs are stone. You're not expecting those to hatch. And in the first season, this woman, or I'm sorry, she's still technically a child you know, or, yeah, or a kid, right. you know, goes into a pyre and, and you expect her to burn alive and die. But what does she do? She comes out alive with three dragons. And by that point, and it's a perfect way to end the season because by that point, you're either in or you're out. You know, if you don't want to see dragons and what they're going to expand yeah, on in terms of magic. I think it's like the third or fourth episode that scene sort of dispelled the whole myth of Targaryens are immune to burning or, or heat because Khal Drogo gives her brother the crown that he's dying crown for. Crown of gold, yeah. Yeah, and melts like gold on his face and kills him essentially. Which sort of disproves to the audience those are just stories. Those yeah. don't exist until the unburnt walks out. Until you see Daenerys walk out. Now there was a little bit of a preview of that where she got it like uh, Daenerys was in a bath. Oh, right, right. right. Really, the first really episode. Hot. They were wondering how she could be in there and so it's so Or hot. when she tried to um, hatch one of the eggs so she basically read that if you put the egg in fire, it'll cause it to hatch, which it didn't. Which she puts her hand in the fire, mm -hmm. and I think one of her handmaidens said, no, you'll burn yourself. Hammond gets burnt, Daenerys unburnt. Mm -hmm. So you can see there's a difference between her and her brother to a degree. But the overall point is, and I absolutely agree with David, what you, what you were talking about, about how the magic got brought in at the end. And what it did is it, it sucked in the people that were looking for something grounded in some sort of reality, mm -hmm. some sort of historical. The NFL. That's, yeah, the that's sports just, dad. That's the sports dad. That's that's a matter of just kind of leaning into the sex yeah. of, of the yeah. show. Oh, yeah. The sex position. Yeah, sex position, yeah. yeah the, the, the sex position and stuff. And so like you see that that is it's almost and, and this is I know we're going to get into this later as to what kind of pulled me out of the show but it was when I started to see those kind of like network moves where it was like you kind of see that coming up later in the season mm -hmm. but the, the first season felt pure it felt like okay this is George R.R. R. Martin's vision mm -hmm. this is what we're seeing and in a way it told you at the end through Ned and then Daenerys that one it's not going to be your typical story you're going to lose your protagonist right off the bat and two you thought you were going to get away from the magic but no it's it's going to be in this but maybe it's a little bit more suppressed versus the Lord of the Rings 
Rings where the human elements seem like an afterthought. The hobbits, the orcs, uh, the elves, they're the focus of the story. And yeah. then there's these humans that kind of like, oh yeah, they're Stumble here. about, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're here too. They ride horses and, yeah. and, and they die. Young yeah, yeah, they do things. Right. Yeah, they do things too. And so it seems like it's the other where the focus here is on the humans and it's grounded in a, in a reality that would bring in the NFL dads, but it would also bring in the historical buffs that are yeah. really into, oh, yeah. I mean, there's some elements of, you know, you can see New Zealand reflected oh, yeah. in, in Lord of the Rings, <laughs> but this is definitely a English continent or English, uh, what do we call that? What is the official United Kingdom, but it's the island. Yeah. Great Britain? Great yeah. Britain. Well, the island itself. What are you, because it's United Scotland, Kingdom. it's Scotland and England. United, United Kingdom, Kingdom right? As, yeah. So it's United so Kingdom. Kingdom. So now we're getting into whole historical things. This right. is probably <laughs> well, which we yeah. will only talk about the North because yes. it's, I see it as Scotland slash Ireland wanting their own independence uh-huh. and fighting against the crown. Those are things that we can latch on yeah. to and not argue in a way that we would with like the last kingdom where right. it's like, well, wait a minute, that's not the way that, you know, Northumbria, you know, uh, uh, make. and so like you can say that there's some specific things that they're trying to get to, but Lord of the Rings more is that more abstract so you can kind of get yourself into it. You know? Yeah, no, and I think that's kind of smart because the way George R. R. Martin created this world is he took clear inspirations from the War of the Roses Reformation. I, and I even look at Daenerys and Cersei sort of like the relationship between Elizabeth and Mary, Queen of Scots, in the term that they never really met each other. Well, ignore the movie because they never really did ma- meet each other. <laughs> Mary, Queen of Scots, great film, but some inaccuracies there. But again, like it was really smart on his part because in the same way to same way that um, Margaret Atwood created her world of the Handmaid's Tale, they looked at historical things that happened in the past, especially treatment towards women. And that's the main criticism that Game of Thrones gets is how horribly they treat women, but it's historically accurate at the time in the medieval period that the most victimized group were women. Mm-hmm. Even though some would say it's gratuitous, but it's what happened. And some could argue, well, it's fantasy. We don't always have to show that. And which I think we'll see a correction of that in the future when we get to the House of Dragons. Which is set earlier, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is interesting <laughs> that it's going to be a prequel. Or we can yeah. see how the treatment of women degrades over time. Right. And you could say even Atwood is a is a is a harbinger of what's to come. That's predictive of something right. that could come in the future, rather than looking. I mean, yeah, yeah. it goes back to the old tropes of mm-hmm. the kind of the puritanical right. uh, mm-hmm. uh, age and everything. But it's also, mm-hmm. it, like I said, it feels predictive. It's it's sometimes it's hard to watch because you almost feel like, oh, this could happen. It's almost like Black Mirror, where it's right. like mm-hmm. maybe not. I think Black Mirror is more predictable than The Handmaid's Tale, or, mm-hmm. or more kind of like you know, it's believable as something that's going to happen. But right. you know, in the back of your mind, you got to kind of like watch out for watch out for some. <laughs> stuff too. Yeah, you know? right. Other things uh, about this pilot real quick is that what we saw the final product was about, I think what they said is like 90% reshoots. Yeah, the original pilot was just a, a total hot mess. D&D, which is what I'm going to refer to Benny Off and Wise throughout this podcast. Which I feel like is a disservice to Dungeons and Dragons, but I digress. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> I'm going to need to roll a wisdom check. Um, Sorry, that's my only D&D joke. <laughs> they had Todd McCarthy direct it, who is connected to Peter Dinklage in the way he directed The Station Agent. Uh, also directed Spotlight, Oscar-winning film. He came in, did his job. When they had to do a whole bunch of reshoots, he didn't come back. <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah, yeah. He, he said he didn't really have the best time because he, he felt like a hired hand, and I think he felt like he was above being like a hired director, you know? like Because when you're coming from film, mm-hmm. you have a hand in the script. You can change what you need to word network television. Right. You are basically a guest. Like, the people in charge are the writers and the executive producers mm-hmm. making sure. What was astonishing was no one at HBO said, hey, you guys are new at this. Let me send some help to get little things like, hey, 
hey, maybe have the lords and ladies of Winterfell kneel before the king, which did not happen, apparently. Yeah. And the actual, um, the original pilot. Yeah. And little weird continuity things. Characters weren't established. No one knew when they did a screening among friends that Jamie and Cersei were twins, which is like, oopsie. That's kind of the reason why. Key point there to the end. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Especially the last scene. Yeah. One, one, one of their friends who was also a screenwriter, he, he said, you guys have a big problem after watching that. <laughs> and I think it was Benioff who said, uh, then he wrote down like a uh, big problem. And, like, yeah. <laughs> well, well, one of the things was a big selling point, especially for, I guess, George R. Martin is getting that scene where they find the dire wolf pups, because it was the first thing he wrote in the series. And there's supposed to be some sort of warning. Make. And apparently in the first shooting of that scene, it felt completely flat. That was really the only magical element from this world. And they got completely wrong. Mm-hmm. That was the first scene they shot, too. I right? think if so, I yeah. remember mm-hmm. uh, reading that. But even that scene, like, when I remember first seeing it, and I didn't really, like, I didn't see a magical element to it. I just saw, like, okay, this is a world where, you know, you find a, a big dog and here's some puppies. Puppies yeah. are things that we, <laughs> it wasn't like they were being handed dragons or unicorns yeah. or something. But, right? yeah. They're being handed puppies. And so there is some sort of like even that scene like as it was shown when I think back to it it seemed even the scene that's there was flat and so this might just be a criticism yeah because I think it was the way they were talking about it and the version I saw on the pilot for me it's like oh something weird is happening beyond this mystical we haven't really been mm-hmm. introduced to the wall yet dire walls these giant walls shouldn't be coming because for me I'm a science fiction fantasy freak like if dangerous creatures are leaving their natural habitat something bad is happening yeah and I, and I think we probably should at least acknowledge that there was some blue eyes at the beginning of the very first episode yes. that we, yeah. you know, that was a magical element that yeah. I, you know, as I've seen, oh yeah, it's good that they waited till the end, but still. Which even that first scene, if you could have told me those were White Walkers, I wouldn't have known, which is one of the things that I would never show anyone the pilot to get them into the series to begin with. Yeah. Just because they've changed dramatically since then. I think they changed it, I think, season two to really define what a White Walker was. Mm-hmm. That was like the weird thing. But then again, I get it. They're drying us slowly into the magical elements, the terrors in the night. Yeah, yeah. And then the original pilot actually had John Aaron's death as the opening scene. Him dying, like him Ooh. drinking the poison and, and falling down I, and dying. I would have liked that better, to be honest with you. Really? Yes. <laughs> That's your insane instant why Ned is coming to King's Landing. Granted, we see his body in the sept and Cersei and Jamie talking in code, but we find out later on what was really happening that he found out the secret. You almost need to go back and watch the first episode after you've watched the whole yeah. season. And that's throughout the whole series, whether it's in the books or in the, in the it's it's about foreshadowing. And going back, and I've, I've gone back three times now and read all, all five mm-hmm. books. It's fun to sometimes read something that foreshadows something that happened in the show in like season five. I mean, I, I, I don't want to give examples because it's you end up spoiling things. But just the fact that you can kind of see things being foreshadowed in a way, that's something that you don't get from a going back to the director thing mm-hmm. where you have a director of a pilot and then you have a different director doing the right. season finale. Like they don't always necessarily necessarily sync up on style or like even the way something is said, it sometimes can be a, a little bit of foreshadowing right. of what comes mm-hmm. down the road. So it's neat to kind of like, you know, it is or, or knowing history or knowing kind of what's coming up to either kind of think that you're going to predict. And then sometimes it's either a counter to that, i.e. Mm-hmm. the execution of Ned, or it's the, even the, the Red Wedding to a degree where it's like, OK, I was almost getting bored by Rob's story at that point. It was uh-huh. just like, ah, this is typical. You kind of see that they're setting him up to avenge his dad. And then then he's gone, too. And it's like, okay, well, what is this now? And so then it becomes a matter of, I would see even network people going in saying, what is this? And should we even, I almost feel like D&D accidentally made a good show. They 
they stumbled. But yeah. their, and their credit, because their stories of them going to HBO after the screening of the original pilot, they said, hey, here's all the mistakes that we made in this pilot. They took ownership of their mistakes. They didn't pass it on the director or anyone else. And said, here's how we're going to correct it. Luckily, HBO was like, let's do this. Because I think on HBO's benefit, they saw the potential of the series. Mm. Because in all fairness, they needed something big to replace outgoing shows like The Wire and uh, Sopranos. Mm -hmm. And they were now competing with other shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad, Lost, which were all sort of influenced Mm -hmm. by HBO's success. Yeah, the serialized shows, right? Yeah, the serialized shows and taking big swings. But still, they stumbled, they got lucky. And I think a lot of credit goes to George R. R. Martin for pretty much telling them, here are the books, because initial plan was each season would cover one of the books and then telling them what happens after the books haven't been released yet. So they had some sort of framework. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they executed those plans when they didn't have the books to pull material from, that's a whole different story that I will uh, we will discuss probably. Yeah, and we don't know much about the White Walkers in the books yet. Right, that's and, true. And, yeah, and where it's at in the books is as uh, I, I, do we I, do we acknowledge where the books are at in this in this podcast or is that something yeah. that we we could yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay yeah John Snow's still dead in the books yeah and, yeah. and, and, so, and I believe Daenerys is she crossing the narrow sea yet or no Daenerys is still lost in the desert she hasn't <laughs> even found the Dothraki yet. she's she's just oh. been dumped in the desert. Tyrion is on his way. Tyrion he left because there's a different. Tyrion hasn't met Daenerys left. Yeah, he hasn't met Daenerys, but I'm not even sure if he's on her way to meet her. I don't know if he's. I don't. Left I don't think he. Yeah, yeah I think he, you're right about that. He has an escape, and sure. then Sansa is still pretending to be someone else. Sansa's still in the Eyrie. Jane, and she. I don't think she's married uh, Robin. They talked about it. In she the doesn't. Book. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the character that Sansa plays in place to marry Ramsay Bolton has just recently been paired with him. Oh, she's yeah. pretending to be yeah Arya. That's and then Arya is still on. blind over in Bravos. Arya is still blind, but there is the chapter of Winds of Winter that's out. Where, yeah, like a release, oh, right. Right. where she's also with the a Sansa um, uh, chapter two. Yeah, there's a Sansa chapter, and then the Arya chapter is she's with the troop, the acting troop. Right. So that's where they're at in the books. So right. we don't know we're going to end up uh, in the books yet. Whether and or not so, she does become the Mad Queen or not. Yeah. So, the, but you know, there's changes to the book. There's Varys and Selmy is uh, yes, is, very is much still, alive, is very yeah. much alive oh. in the books and yeah. stuff. And so that was that's one of those characters. That, I think he was on Graham Norton show when yeah. he was like, hey, I'm excited. You know, I read the books. Like, I know I'm still alive. And then all of a sudden I get the script and I'm dead. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of, you know, yeah. big disappointment. And, well, and that's one of my biggest piece with the Benioff and Weiss. Even though probably my favorite scene is Cersei's Revenge at the Sept. But they clearly cleaned out house just to yeah. simplify it and get it done by their timeline, mm-hmm. not HBO's yeah. timeline, which is the most annoying thing as a fan because killed off my favorite character. <laughs> Well, yeah, you want you start watching the show and you're and especially when you know it's going to be wrapped up in that year. And mm-hmm. it's just like, OK, each one of these characters needs a send off. Right. Mm-hmm. Each one of them needs a good death. And so, like, you're just kind of wondering, OK, who's it going to be this week? And then you're almost kind of waiting for it. And then it, again, you get into kind of the it's almost like knowing how many movies there are in a Marvel deal. If you know one of the actors is good, it's their last movie. You're like, OK, they're going to do something to get rid of right. them. And so you kind of know that that's going to be an arc to the story. I'm just happy that Marjorie is quote unquote still safe <laughs> with the sparrows still with the sparrows but she's still safe yeah oh yeah 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 and Marjorie's a great character both on the show and in the and, yeah. and in the book which 
like her death solidify my what I think the uh, thesis statement of the series is the women are smart but the men are too stupid to actually listen to them yeah. <laughs> that's the thesis of this series because if they all listened to the women on the show it would be a just world now is that a lesson that Jamie figured out along the way as he listened to Brienne as he listened to well it's a Cersei to a degree but Oleana that scene at the end where he was finally sitting there and she revealed that they had killed Joffrey mm-hmm. um, I mean is that Jamie going yeah we should listen to you I mean like to yeah. me that's a, that's one of those scenes where yeah, it's exactly but, that's how I see it manifesting yeah, but it's unfortunately he got the lesson but he never followed through with it yeah because of course he's a Lannister and he's a man and he knows better he's gonna go in and save Cersei yeah that was kind of a, a bonehead move but the fact that he went to the north you know and he went to fight right. I mean that was like what was behind that what was he running to he wasn't running away from something he was trying to I think that conversation with Oliana like mm-hmm. had an impact yeah, on it that does. for sure because it seemed like he was doing the right thing there yeah because I mean Oliana pretty much said that you made Cersei the way she is yeah. you're the reason why all this death is happening the ruins of Westeros for him like yeah he took stock he took stock at his life and said hey maybe I should make different choices and we've seen this character arc for Jamie since his capture since his adventures with Brienne where he's becoming more human instead of a lion or a, uh, which is the house sigil of the Lannisters because before I don't think I can say the most commonly insult in all of Westeros Bronn's favorite curse word oh yeah we can't say that <laughs> we can, yeah, yeah. yeah we can say that but you can look it up but he's been kind of a jerk <laughs> well like, he pushed Bran out the window in the first episode so yeah you're, yeah you're already told that this guy's this is a villain this guy looks like he looks like which, uh, a Lionheart from the Shrek movies right, right. you know yeah. just looks like a, a punk someone you want to punch right? yeah which I will say if anyone had the best redeeming arc of the series mm-hmm. it's Jamie Lannister even though he fumbled at the end and, the, and I feel like the only reason he went back is for his quote unquote unborn child that Cersei was carrying which there's debate whether or not she was really pregnant yeah according to uh, Lena Headey they had a scene where she had a miscarriage I think it's in season 7 and that's mm-hmm. why in season 8 she was back to all habits of drinking wine because she was refusing wine when she right. met with Tyrion which is dumb they should have kept that scene in because for a long time I thought she was faking and plus Maggie the Frog's prophecy mm-hmm. she's only supposed to have three children and die Technically, she had four because I guess they forgot in season one. She was talking to Robert's Cat- kid. She, yeah, she was talking to Catelyn about having uh, Robert Baratheon's child, and it died from I think fever. A fever, yeah. Right. So let me just wrap up this pilot real quick. Right. So, like we've talked about, how they needed to reshoot the pilot. So Tim Van Patten came in, who is a veteran of a lot of HBO programs. Mm-hmm. They just needed a sure hand in making sure that this was done correctly the second time around because this is such an expensive project. Right. And yeah, it's, it is kind of funny to see how humbled D&D were because they'll even admit it. They'll be the first to admit it. We had no idea what we were doing. This is our first time we've created a television show and we're show running. It's like, that's a huge undertaking, you know. They reshot it. They did it well. Um, I was uh, immediately um, interested in all of these characters. One more thing I should say about this pilot is that, which is uh, just a running thread throughout this entire series, is the music. The music is so good. I actually listened to the soundtrack I this do. morning. No. I do on my way to work every morning. Really? Yeah. Um, Light the Seven. The whole setup to Cersei blowing up the Sept of Baylor. Oh, so good. Seven minutes. I can never pronounce the composer's name. Oh, Raman Dajwadi. One of my favorite composers in television right now, The Winds of Winter, is probably my favorite track ever because it's the unofficial um, generis theme. Her crossing the narrow sea with the dragons and her fleet of Unsullied and Dothraki. That was an impressive scene. That's mm-hmm. a scene 
something from a book reader that you've been waiting to see since you started uh-huh. reading the books. And mm-hmm. so just in visualizing that and that and the music uh, uh, wrapped uh-huh. up with it a well. So when I was uh, working on is when I was writing my dissertation and uh-huh. doing and, and I was writing for hours on uh-huh. end that would pop up in my Spotify mix of uh-huh. instrumental writing music that would actually bring me out of my writing because I because of how much I appreciate that song <laughs> right. and how I contextualized it. And I got I, w- I actually had to do a thumbs down or whatever the equivalent uh-huh. was on Spotify at the time to not have that pop uh-huh. up because I would get out of the element and because I would start thinking about Game of Thrones uh-huh. and I didn't need to be writing about that as I right. was, you know, getting into, you know, experiential learning theory. Right. So, OK, so no more uh, no more academics there for sure. But the one thing I will say about the music, and sorry if I'm jumping in here. And one of the reasons I got hooked on the show was the opening credits. You know, I grew up in the 80s and so I remember shows that had opening credits and theme songs and like right. you, you watched them. You watched the whole mm-hmm. credits. You just yeah. sat there and you've seen them I don't know how many times mm-hmm. Gary Coleman and those guys and Facts of Life, you know, mm-hmm. going by and yet you still listen to the song mm-hmm. and you knew the words and you'd sing them to your friends and stuff. So much of TV at the point of when Game of Thrones had started was that they had got rid of the opening credits and so you'd start out with a cold open and just basically almost like a title yes, card. Yeah, lots kind of popularized that too. Yeah, and so... But getting back into it and watching that they actually took the time to not only do like a theme song and music, but have this like story that's being told through the opening credits. And it changed every time. Every time. Each kingdom we're going to focus story on. And you talk about foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it get told you at the beginning of each season, like where they were going to go. And you're like, oh, we're going to go to the Sea of Dothraki here. right? Right. That wasn't in the first season. Uh, That's brilliant. I I will say I admire them during the last season Mm because you simplified it to um, Winterfell and King's Landing. And they actually updated uh, after the long night showing it destroyed mm-hmm. same with yep. um with the iron throne where they have the red keep and all king's land yeah. destroyed as well um i also love how they change the symbols too because yeah. throughout the season because for a while it was just whatever destroyed then we have the bolton symbol as soon after yeah. the um battle of the bachelors are what we refer to on the air was the dishonorable disagreement amongst um illegitimate children yes because we couldn't <laughs> say ba- because we were doing we our radio say show, bastard on the radio we couldn't say bastards on the radio show <laughs> So we have to come up with clever names. Yeah. And I think this is where, because I've read about how people who watch The Witcher now are confused about these lands and where they are in this in this world. And, and I think about, well, because they don't have an intro like Game of Thrones where they they're showing you like <laughs> where all these places are. Well, yeah. As you're reading the books, you're going through and you're looking at the maps. Like you are, yeah. Referring back to the maps and all sometimes the time. going back to the other books. Now, yeah. I, I read on the Kindle. And so basically, like, you know, I when I had, when you have the paper book, you can just open it. But I had to, like, you know, scroll through. And so I had, like, I had the maps all bookmarked so that I could figure out, you know, where Daenerys was traveling at any given time, especially mm-hmm. through Essos and everything. It just mm-hmm. that when I think about what I liked about it was it was some of the journeys that they took. And mm-hmm. we talked about Brienne and, and Jamie's journey when they, you know, traveled across just going from uh, just going to the Riverland and the descriptions of what the in the book, it was about kind of like how this war had affected the land mm-hmm. and just these little villages and what they went through as these as these armies came through and just, you know, walked all over everything and burned their fields and all that. Mm-hmm. To me, there was a humanity there that was reflected in the show to a degree but like if you spend an entire season of a show just with Jamie and Brienne going from you know one place to the other or even Arya and the Hound and this is where it, later in the show where they you know they would jump from place to right. place like within the next scene and so it just seemed like wait a minute what about the taking an entire episode to right. travel you know, the equivalent yeah. of like five miles mm-hmm. right yeah. well that's because they discovered that Ferris was a mermaid and yeah. he just swam them across the narrow sea and then Jeffy up the rivers I mean <laughs> I mean how else did he get to Dorne 
so quickly and back to the Iron Fleet. Yeah. Just saying. Right? Yeah, that did absolutely hurt the show. They spoiled us in those early seasons by taking the time. And even if we did like advance a couple weeks in the same episode, they were still in the same location. Like I did notice in the first season how they'd be talking about something that happened in Winterfell. And then a couple scenes later, we'll see Bran in the bed. And it's been a couple weeks since he fell from the town, you know, and and, like time has passed. So and I can respect that because it's like we're not jumping like Tyrion is is here. Now he's here. And it's like it's like the joke people say about Lord of the Rings. It's about the journey. You know, it's like like no shortcuts. You know, I think the writers must have just thought, well, one, they didn't they were less episodes. But at the same time, I think they were also thinking, well, we've been through this already. Do we really want fans to go through all of it again? And I think the short answer is, yeah, we do. We did want to go through all of it again. Establish the world. Yeah. Like this is we knew what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it goes back to them rushing, trying to get. So I think they were fertigued. Oh, no, it's true. Season five, you notice that change. They pretty much kind of just gave up in a sense because they were had other projects ready to go at HBO that didn't come to be, which is thank God because they're horrible. Like they had Star Wars around the corner. But I was worried what they were going to do with Star Wars, too. Even the Mandalorian. I'm not trying to change topics here, but like the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, I was just kind of like, don't mess with this. Like, it's one thing to do the sequels and be like years Mm -hmm. in the future, but you're starting to talk about my childhood here. And so (laughs) I... I, I got protective of Lord of the uh, sorry of, of Game of Thrones as well towards the end too because I'm like you know we did all this world building and you got me invested I want to be here I want to spend some time here I went and read Correct. the Duncan Egg books you know mm-hmm. the the graphic novels and stuff I haven't read the House of Targaryen historical volume thing. one I haven't I tried read that three times <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm gonna try with the audiobook to be honest <laughs> with you because I will say the first couple of chapters were interesting because you talked about how they um, pretty much conquer all of Westeros and once will swoop and how Dorne sort of gained their independence, mm-hmm. which was great. That being said, it reads like a textbook because the way he writes it is from the point of view of the Grand Maester uh, from the Citadel recording the histories. And that's just volume one. And it's over 700 pages. There's a volume two. And I was promised this two years ago, <laughs> even though I didn't get through the first one. George. I have it sitting at home right now, actually. I was going to do some reading on it. And it is hard to get through. I it, it, it is. It is hard to get book. through. Yeah. I, will, I will report back. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys read the Duncan Egg? Surprisingly, no, I haven't read the Duncan that, Egg short stories. Go to those. Right. Really, go to those. Okay. I heard they're those short good, stories, yeah. and and they're, they're not done either. There's like I think four volumes of the Duncan. <laughs> Is he Egg. ever going to finish anything in this world? I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 he just seems he he he's got so many great stories to tell. And he doesn't want to finish telling them, I think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he and keeps can, coming up with new and, ways. To tell and I this. can understand that because he is protective of Daenerys. He said that in my interviews. It's been parodied a lot on a lot of TV shows. I can understand the relentless because I think he knows where the story is taking that character. And I can see the reluctance of finding... Yeah, he can try to bend over backwards and change the ending. Because I think we did see the ending. Of we his saw story. the ending. We just didn't see how she got there. Yeah, and I think for him to see that so many people were displeased mm-hmm. with how it ended, or rather how it was rushed, and I think you think you hit it on the head when you said, "I don't think people understood how she got there." Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of bending over backwards, especially by Tyrion Lannister, who's bending over backwards and mansplaining to everybody how she's the Mad Queen when we having. Checked in and on her by yourself having conversations. These are all assumptions. 
again, made by men because yeah. she's over-emotional. And, and this is how the book frames it, too, is it's all perspective. So it's every mm-hmm. chapter is from the inner perspective. It's the inner dialogue of one of the characters. And so right. it'll bounce from Jamie to, to Arya to Daenerys. And so if we have some flushed out Daenerys chapters that lead up to that episode, it could be, you know, that she heard something about John. I mean, it could be some silly, you know, silly gossip yeah. girl type stuff. Or it could be, you know, something that where she was poisoned and and, and or a, a spell was put on her or something. And mm-hmm. I mean, like we just I feel like maybe I want to say the last season of the show is just a trailer for the last books. We see elements of it and then we will figure out later. What? So like, is that world building for the last books? And so are we going full circle now again, where I was thinking early on, where I was going back and forth between do I read the book or do I watch the show? I actually mm-hmm. had to make that choice. And then at some point I'm like, I can't wait anymore. I need to right. read. Mm-hmm. And so then then I got ahead of the, the show. So there's nothing to read right now. Thanks, George, uh, for that. You've had, you've had a, gave you a two and a half year pandemic with your typewriter and, and your, your old system that's off the grid and everything. So, you know, get this shit done. Sorry. And I said before we recorded, I honestly think he has those books written. Mm-hmm. If I were him, I would release those after my death. So I wouldn't have to hear any complaining from the fanboys going over and over again every time I step foot in public saying, this is not how it's supposed to end. How could you portray Daenerys Targaryen first of her name? I'm like, dude, calm down. <laughs> there's, there's still plenty of fanboys that are uh, debating the the C.S. Lewis and J.R.L. Tolkien uh, right. books too. And so like that's all and they're, you know, they're they're long gone. And so there could be, you know, definitely some uh, some debate that comes after it. I honestly think he wants to go back to the days where it was just him and his books mm-hmm. and be because this show became such a phenomenon, mm-hmm. it sort of put a damper of excitement to releasing those books. Because yeah. I think if the show didn't get too far ahead from him, I think we would have gotten those two books. I think because it's just surpassed where he was in the writing process, yeah. it kind of ruined the excitement for him and it made it kind of wary. Even though it's going to be drastically different. Because as you mentioned, there are many characters that are in the book that were cut for time, rightfully so, for a more coherent plotline for television. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we got a glimpse of what's going to happen. If people are holding out Daenerys is, or John is going to end up on the Iron Throne, I don't think it's going to happen because I think the story is supposed to end with the Targaryens passing from this world. Because Danny set out what she promised to do. She broke the wheel. She created a new world system. Unfortunately, she didn't realize she won't be a part of it after she broke the wheel. And if that- that's the foreshadowing that that's the grand purpose. And that gives meaning to everything that happened with Danny. That gives meaning to a, beyond Danny going back to even the House of Targaryen, which uh-huh. is the, you know, the new show and everything. Uh-huh. It's that's an interesting point about being the end, because, yeah, there weren't any any other Targaryens out there. Well, in the book, there's supposedly <laughs> supposedly, uh, supposedly, one. supposedly <laughs> another one yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, in another possible imposter in another place. Yeah. yeah, that since that didn't get brought into the show, I don't know if that was a significant element to the books, because that would seem like they would at I, least bring him in. I think they combine those two elements mm-hmm. of the imposter and John's lineage to sort of become the legitimate threat, which as many people pointed out in forums and in articles, it was so sloppily done, it just to cause discord yeah. between that relationship, which I think it is a significant threat in the, in the upcoming books that would just handle so poorly because in the end, it didn't matter, which right. it would have mattered. No one brought that up and that decided who's going to be the next king of Westeros. Mm-hmm. 
which someone has said, well, John's a Targaryen. Therefore, the Unsullied should be following him regardless if he killed Daenerys or not. Yeah. So let's go ahead and focus on a character here, or at least who we would like to focus on. So, Greg, we'll start with you. What's one main character that left the biggest impression on you? So one of the main characters that left an impression on you, and one that I, we've talked about Jamie a lot. Mm-hmm. So Jamie was one that I followed, and I followed and not necessarily wanting to because of the initial impression I right. got, right? Mm-hmm. Even when he lost his hand, I wasn't really that sympathetic towards him. Right. I'm like, ah, you deserve that. And I really like, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he was uh, Ned's friend who Jamie stabbed in the eye in one of the early, in season one. It's Jory Castle. Yeah. From the first book, he was somebody that I was like, okay, this is a good guy, you know? Yeah. And, and right. he's supposed to, he sets, they set him up. I mean, he set him up well. It's just somebody you like, someone you're, you're yeah. supporting, somewhere you're like, okay, this is Ned's guy. He's going to, and then, you know, a dagger in the eye. But Jamie's redemption, especially through, was it where the, they had Brienne and the bear, but like that. Made in the bear. Yeah. And so that whole arc, and especially once he left, I felt like, okay, I wanted to, I wanted to follow Jamie now. I didn't want to follow him prior to the bath mm-hmm. and prior to the bear, but afterwards I did. And it was understanding mm-hmm. like why he, you know, what prompted him to, when he revealed to Brienne in the bath, well, what prompted him to slay the king. But the one character that I just kept coming back to and I never thought I did, I thought I would gravitate more towards Ned as a father. Mm-hmm. I thought I would gravitate more towards John just as being someone who's mm-hmm. like, who's seen as an outsider. But I found myself really enjoying Arya. And not until she was on the road to the Night Watch, until she was on her own and losing all of her support around her and just trying to make her way, but also hiding her her background by even the little things of not saying Milady when she would interact with those of noble blood, but just watching her arc and watching her discover herself and really rooting for her. I was crushed when she was so close to Rob and Catelyn yeah, during yeah. the Red right. Wedding. And she was right out there and then with the Hound and then it's like, oh wait, no. And then she gets pulled away. I mean, I was crushed by that. Yeah. And by the way, the, you know, reading The Red Wedding and knowing that it was like, I remember being very upset with it when I read the book. And I and I know people that just like threw the book across the room. They're just like, this is, I'm not reading this anymore. And so, and it was fun to have friends of mine who were now reading the books, didn't know about The Red Wedding, either finding out about it as they were reading and then calling me and being like, what the? Or obviously like watching a show. And then the YouTube reactions were great. Oh, yeah, the they were people great. People that knew that, that it was going to happen and just that's something you just don't see on TV at that time. Now it's being done to death where you're having just like big pieces of a cast just that disappear. You're having these large events that kind of change the dynamic of the show. Mm-hmm. By season five, you have a whole new cast. Walking so now yeah. so now that you don't have to pay the cast members for right. syndication because they've got through five. And so again, you get <laughs> yeah. to the business side of it and right. you start recognizing, right. okay, this guy's going to die pretty soon, right? right? So yeah, so Ira's journey was one that I found myself emotionally invested in, both in the show and on like when she finally met up with Brienne I was so happy it was just so happy that she was with someone that was going to protect her and then she's like ah screw you and, and, and it was like okay it's Arya learning a little bit and honestly like once the show's over if I wanted to see a spinoff I would want to see where she went and what she did and honestly like no more Westeros like I just I don't need to see Westeros anymore and, yeah yeah what is West, Westeros he, and, I can't imagine that's, that, that's the whole that's planet one of my pitches for like spinoffs and sequels because we'll mention like the Jon Snow spinoff as in in the early stages. Mm-hmm. If you're going to follow Eddie Stark, it's going to be Arya. Because yeah. what you need, it has to be something vastly different from what we've seen before. Yeah. For Arya, I think it'll be exciting because we're going into like the age of exploration and you can bring in actual pirates. 
In fact, Lisbrig and Yara are someone from the Iron Islands. Yeah, she's headed that way. She's going to go right by the Iron Islands on her way yeah, out. It would be fun to see what is West at Westeros. And this is, we're like, hey, Martin, let's create some new stuff. <laughs> yeah. Let's get you writing again. Well, and, it, and it's kind of a fresh palette too. I mm. mean, you can go east and you can go, I mean, and I, I the Dothraki is, uh, they're a great symbolization of the, uh, that's a word, of the Mongols mm-hmm. and the Mongolian Empire. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, if you're a fan of Genghis Khan and, and really like what they accomplished as a nomadic tribe, but you can see that through mm-hmm. the Dothraki. I mean, even to the, the the Sea of Dothraki where they had all the monuments that they had taken right. from other uh, mm-hmm. lands that they had conquered and everything. But even that, that's kind of like we've, we've explored that a little mm-hmm. bit. We spent enough time with Danny in the desert. We spent enough time with her and, and Marine where we kind of get an idea of the slave trade. We kind of get the whole, the idea of yeah. the Mediterranean and all that. But yeah, going west. And it gives you, it's just a whole new palette where you can world build too with the character that really came away looking pretty good mm-hmm. from the show to the point that she's like, screw you guys, I'm going to do my own thing. Right. Including like when she had the opportunity to stay, she chose to leave. When she when she had the opportunity with Brienne to stay, she chose to go to Bravos, right? Uh-huh. And get trained by the Faceless I Men. I mean, she got a marriage proposal from Gendry, yeah. uh, who's now Gendry Baratheon, the Lord of Storm's End. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, thank you. I'm not a lady. I'm yeah. going to go do my own thing. She has grown. She was she was kind of pushing it off with not saying my lady to, uh, or, or saying my lady, which I can't remember which my, it is, but it was my lady. my lady versus my lady. Right? Yeah. That's how they could distinguish. Yeah. And so she was already kind of disguising herself or issue when she cut her hair. And that wasn't her choice, but, you know, to just kind of like push aside what she, how, her pedigree and to be your own person. So to me, that's that's I mean, a story right there. Even in yeah. her, like to use the phrase final form mm-hmm. a lot between me and David, but, <laughs> but we see like when she comes back from her training from the Faceless Men, she has this iconic, unique look. It's a mixture of everything she's gone through in the sense that she has a little bit of her wonderful heritage, a little bit of when she was hiding, traveling with the Hound, and if bits and pieces here and there from when she was in uh, Bravos. And I thought, like, this is a character you want to follow because I think she looks the most unique and recognizable out of all the cast characters. I'm like, why not approach Macy Williams? Which, granted, she had opportunities to join other long-running shows like Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and he's been kind of cognizant about not being trapped in a role again yeah. for so long. But I mean, if you were to picture the right story. <laughs> yeah. If there's anything that I would say that I would criticize about Arya is that it was kind of clear that in the later seasons that the writers really liked the character to the point where plot armor, I guess, is the term you yeah. started to see. She should have died five times I mean, during the siege of that stab at the yeah. waif gave her and then falling into dirty water and, and still coming Not out gay. of that. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, holy cow. That, that was too much. And, and then um, and then again in King's Landing, like surviving all of that. Not to say she didn't get roughed up a bit. She was covered in, in ash and dust and was a little bloody. But but it's like, right. I don't or know. Forgetting how to be an assassin screaming towards the Night King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's there's that as well. So there was a few things here and there where, where it was kind of clear that they liked the character a lot. I kind of wish the writers knew what to do with the House of Black and White. Because I feel like I remember when we were covering week to week, I remember us discussing how sometimes it was just boring and we didn't understand what was the purpose of us spending so much time there when almost nothing ever happens. Granted, when she started watching the troops, which I think for me was sort of like an inkling for her to go back to Westeros, reminding her like, oh yeah, I'm on a journey. I can no longer be the girl who's no one. I'm Arya Stark. I need to avenge my family. Right. Like she was amassing a tool uh, to use Mm -hmm. uh, the ability to disguise the ability to be an assassin to Mm -hmm. then to take a piece of that and then go back rather 
rather than making the, the hole like the wave foot and, the, and uh, Joaquin is that is that how you oh Jack and uh, Jack and Jack, yeah. Jack and Joaquin uh, Jack and, uh, <laughs> that was their world they stayed there and so that wasn't for Arya but she needed a piece of that she had the ability to be the faceless yeah, which I kind of wish they made it more interesting and yeah. sort of unveil some of the mystery of what that means to be a faceless man like if you were to, to tell me or ask me hey tell this person who's never seen Game of Thrones describe the faceless men and what they do in three simple sentences I cannot mm-hmm. and the fact that she never used beyond her revenge on the fray the revenge on the fray was amazing it made me so happy that they borrowed from Titus Andronicus probably my favorite Shakespearean play where she baked a pie out of his two yeah. uh, Walder Frey's sons mm-hmm. and fed it to him just kiss it's brilliant <laughs> yeah that was a beautiful scene that was and really it, I mean it felt good to have but then it was like I need more I need more of the redemption because of that journey that she had been on for, for so uh-huh. long I needed uh-huh. I needed more of her feeling good about getting revenge or at least you know and yeah. closing the door and, then, and, then, and we can tie Bran into this too is when they enter in their quote unquote final form and even Sansa too they remove themselves from their actual emotions mm-hmm. only time I see Sansa show emotion when she's angrily berating John for giving his crown yeah. or not gaining independence for the north but she's cold as ice and all of them are except for John who's actually still human in a mm-hmm. sense and granted they all been through things I understand that but at the same time like it would have been nice like if we got some genuine emotion or reflection even after they dispatched Littlefinger they don't really discuss much there's like hint of human emotion in there at the very end but still it falls flat which is kind of disappointing. I don't know if it was an actor's choice or direction that they got. It seems like they were they were growing throughout the show and then they basically they had lost their innocence and, and their mm-hmm. humanity and different layers of that started mm-hmm. peeling off. Except for John, who seemed to go through a lot, you know, yeah. dying and everything. And I mean, mm-hmm. even Daenerys had genuine emotion. Mm-hmm. Cersei, all she's done and been through, like the Walk of Atonement, still showed emotion when she's happy, emotion other than being annoyed. That's all I got. It's kind of disappointing. Especially with Bran. Bran the Broken, <laughs> who had the best story of all of Westeros. And that was another journey, too, especially his journey through the North uh, with the Reeds, Jojen, Jojen, Mira. That was something that I didn't know where they were going with it. Uh-huh. I didn't really like, I wasn't, and I'm like, why are they, why do they keep going North? What is the point of all this? But it, of course, we don't know in the book yet what the White Walkers are, what that right. hasn't really been explored too much in the book. So. If only they had someone who can give exposition in the TV show. Yes. <laughs> I can tell us what the symbol were we know how how they were created the children of the forest but he told no one <laughs> the hbo show used to have i mean at the end of it they had like a talk show afterwards where they mm-hmm. would have people like you know basically breaking down the episode the throne, and stuff yeah. and so yeah. that that got to the point yeah that's where it got to the point where it's like you needed that exposition in some form maybe right. not part of the show where you have a narrator saying this is what happened you know but you've got at least some discussion afterwards so for those people that are just completely confused by the end of the episode or not really understanding what the symbolism are haven't watched the first couple season so they don't know the mm-hmm. foreshadow they don't know where the characters have been John just seems like frustrated by the end he's just tired he's just like yeah, he yeah. knows what's going on he's been through the ringer and he just wants it to be over that's similar to I think him and Cersei had they had accepted that the world's fucked up they know their place in it they just don't, almost don't want to do it right you know? yeah yeah I put a lot of focus on John when I was doing my rewatch because you're right about that he got to the point where he kept going head first into everything when they went out to go get a white walker to try to prove 
that bring it back to King's Landing, which is an insane plan to even begin with. Cost my girl her dragon. (laughs) I know, right? But it's like, I thought like, if you were even thinking of this, they should have took a dragon to begin with, but whatever. That whole episode should have been much, much better. I love seeing those characters together. Yeah. It just did not seem practical. And and Genji running for two weeks and getting back right away. So I guess the running was part of his training too. He was running with his arms. Right, right. It's like a gorilla. But yeah, running full speed back to the wall, getting a raven out to Daenerys, and then Daenerys getting ready and flying a dragon out north to find them and rescue them. And all the time they're on this mound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just like, oh man. Yeah, I was just like, I got some problems with this episode. The logistics were a problem. But again, I appreciated having those characters together. All of those people that we had seen separated for so long and to have them actually having a conversation, even for a few minutes, it seemed a little forced, but I got some gratification out of it. I appreciate what they were trying to do, but I think they were better with you, like at the Quinnacle Purple Wedding. They had those moments too, and even A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. They found more organic ways to do it. Like, Mm -hmm. I think they could have had those conversations without them going on the stupid mission. Mm -hmm. And I understood, like, they needed to have all three dragons there so they can get the dragon to bring down the wall because plot. But at the same time, it's just like, there's a better way to do this. There's a horn in the book. Yeah, 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 the (laughs) horn. That's right. The horn's supposed to be there. So it could come down on a whole different way. That episode seemed like a TV episode. It seemed like a one and done episodic episode of TV that it just like, again, there were elements of it that I liked. But yeah, it was. Yeah, that reminds me of pre-Game of Thrones era network television. Mm -hmm. We're just like, what is this? This is not the same pedigree we've had previous seasons. Yeah, but you know, uh, John came back to life. And yeah, ever since it it was kind of like, he knows what happened to him coming back to life. That to him is like, this is unnatural. This should not have happened. Why am I alive? So pretty much at every opportunity, he's basically putting himself at risk to die again because in the back of his head, he should he already knows I shouldn't even be here. This is insane. Like I was finally dead and everything was black and everything was cool, you know? Yeah, and clear example is Battle of the Bastards. When Sansa, again, smart woman telling his, telling men, Ramsey's going to do something to piss you off, which was Rick and also Rick and stupid zigzag don't run straight Just zigzag yeah football <laughs> and you're right he's been looking to die again because i think melisandre even asked him like what happened after you died before you woke up in this world and he realized there's nothing there the whole point of living and all the religions the old gods the seven point star or whatever mean nothing he only got life and he died doing the right thing and it meant nothing and i think there's an interesting place to sort of put your character in and sort of figure out how is he going to navigate unknowing this information Information. Somehow, John is still trying to fight for the living, which I give him credit because I think most people wouldn't be. And that shows to his character. He's been so influenced by his perceived father, now, you know, his, his uncle, that he knows that he can't not do the right thing, not do what he's been kind of programmed to do. He, he couldn't run off with the redhead one. Oh, Egret. But yeah, he could have ran off with her and he chose to, you know, he chose to climb the wall. He stayed with the free folk because he felt like he had that sense of duty and he had yeah. that honor and that and that code and and to the point that that's what got him away from the it was that was the only thing that got him away from the wall not even everybody turning on him and calling him a traitor he still would have stayed you know and and still continued to get stabbed but it was when he died that he was like okay my oath's broken and so that gave him the leave to take off and do other things and I felt bad for him in the way where people kept telling him what he should be doing how many times does he have to say to these people I don't want it like dude I don't want any of these things stop yeah. telling me that I'm meant for this or I'd be better at this than this person it's just listen to the man he says he doesn't want it he doesn't want it yeah, yeah. <laughs> you treating him as a 
bastard telling him that he's not good for anything. And all of a sudden, now that he's the only heir left to Winterfell, you can't expect him. I think John is in a position, yeah, he came from noble beginnings in a sense, but I think he, unlike Rob and all the other Starks, was able to forge an identity outside of that. And out of all the Starks, I feel like he's the most in touch of who he knows who he's supposed to be. Because he wasn't sent to take the oath and become a watcher on the wall. He chose that. For me, he puts him in a unique position where he doesn't want it, but honestly, he's probably the most qualified for all those roles. And do you think it was maybe Kat's treatment of him as a child where they didn't treat him as a noble? She treated him as a bastard, as somebody who wasn't welcome and everything to that. Did that add to his humility a little bit so he didn't come out with like Rob thinking that I'm the firstborn and so everything's going to happen for me and I'm going to win every battle and I'm going to... Oh, yeah. And so in a way, maybe it was Kat, but through her horrible step-parenting or whatever was the catalyst that made John who he was. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't even allowed to be at the feast when right. the king visited Winterfell. I mean, yeah, he was out practicing swordsmanship outside. And when he runs into uh, Tyrion. Tyrion Lannister. Yeah. Telling him, remember who you are, you know? Remember you're a bastard. Wear like armor. Right, because no one yeah. can tell you who you are if you already know what you are. Yeah, and then you got that scene when Ned tells him, like, next time I see you, we'll talk about your mother. And you know? it's just I like, mean, oh, right. man. <laughs> and we never got that scene. We never got that scene. You should have known one of them was going down. Yeah, that. yeah. Right. And it's funny that John, he's, he really is nothing like his parents because you hear stories about Rhaegar. Well, I guess in one way that he is related to Rhaegar is that you hear stories about how everybody loved Rhaegar. He was so good to the people and, and people were just loved his presence and people loved John. People gravitated towards John, you know, um, except for Alistair Thorne. You know, he was like the only one who hated John for, but well, he was, no. he, yeah, yeah. And he was holding a grudge against John because he was actually more angry at Ned and, right. and, the, and the result of the rebellion um, than anything else because that's what actually got him at the wall. A backstory that we were never um, explained to in the show. Nice. But when, yeah, when you learn about it in the fandom pages, you know, you're like, oh, wow, that's why. So yeah, he relates to Rhaegar in that way. But you hear stories about Lyanna, how she was like wild and and no one can tell her what to do. And mm-hmm. and no one can say like, oh, you're going to marry this person. They said she was going to marry Robert Rathney. And what does she do? She runs off with Rhaegar. So people were able to pick up on the theory that he was a Targaryen pretty quickly in the books. One story that always stuck out to me, this is from the books. And you can tell I, when I'm watching the show, I'm like, oh, they're purposely omitting things <laughs> about Lyanna because there's Ned's dream in the first book when he's in the cell. That's where we get the promise me, Ned. Promise me. And that wasn't in the show. Or And then there's a moment in the books when Jojen is telling the story about the jousting, you know, about the main story about Rhaegar giving the flowers to uh, Lyanna and not his wife. And Bran's like, oh, I never heard this story. And Jojen's like, really? You never, you never heard of this story? And that's another thing that tells you like, oh, okay, there's a reason why Ned didn't tell them this story. They spent this series like kind of avoided a lot of things about these characters like reflecting sometimes. And for John, you never had that moment where he reflected how Ned knew the truth the whole time. Let him go to the wall, knowing what the wall was and knowing what his identity is. And it's Ned did John a little dirty there. <laughs> but they kept him safe regardless because yeah. at that point, Robert is still alive. And apparently, as we learned later, John can't keep a secret telling Sansa the Right. <laughs> the right. Right. So maybe it was for the best. I know. Again, kept it to himself. Sansa apologist. Um, yeah. I'm a defender. I'm a defender. <laughs> 
but it goes that sense of, that sense of honor too. Yeah, you know, with Ned had passed down to John again, again, maybe not genetically, but at least through it was Ned's promise to Liana. Ultimately, he knew he had to keep that kid safe. And yeah, had he gone to the wall, it would have been it would have been doomed. Or had he known that it was a Targaryen, although he could have hooked up with Aemon up there too. So who was also yeah, one, yeah. Of, one of my favorite characters yeah. from the, the show as well. So we got one more character, Romeo. You yeah, spent Daener- some time, Daenerys. Yeah, Daenerys Targaryen, <laughs> the unburnt. Did she make mistakes? Yes. Sure. <laughs> her mistake was, was listening to the wrong people. As clearly Eliana Tyrell, or let's call her Hanana Tyrell, told her. Because she simply said, and I think the quote is, The lords of our Westeros are sheep. Are you a sheep? No, you're a dragon. Be a dragon. And that was her mistake. Listening to the man who proclaimed, I know two things. I drink and I know things. It was the beginning. Should have been a signal that he botched that sort of sit down with the wise masters of Slaver's Bay. That maybe he's not right to be the hand of the queen. <laughs> Using Westerosi politics in a area that doesn't care. They're not honorable. They're slavers. So you sitting down and sort of creating a system. Daenerys is right. You have to show force. You can talk to these people. And she was right to crucify the masters. She was right to burn their fleets. That's all they know Mm -hmm. is violence. And I will say this. She knows how to conquer. With all those people that were advising her, no one taught her how to rule. Is that Daenerys' fault? No. That's Tyrion's fault. That's not Jorah, but the other... Barrison? Barrison. Even though he tried, he told her stories about her father, the Mad King. But still, there were no lessons in diplomacy. Yeah, and I'd say she even had trouble ruling. She had great success in conquering, i.e. the crucifixions, i.e. the the burning of the boats, taking care of the slavers when she had just traded uh, the dragon for the slaves. That's where she found success. But then she also got pulled out of Marine and dropped in the desert because she because of there was yeah. you know, she couldn't rule. She couldn't keep both sides happy. happy. Yeah, you're right. She underestimated the sounds of the heartbeat, mm-hmm. which she should have been much more brutal and heavy handed with them. Failure to see the hardships of changing the system of slavery and slavers bay because we come to find out she liberated Young Kai in the other city. I can't remember the other city's name, which reverted back to mm-hmm. to slavery with after she left those regions. You must be referring to Astapor. Yeah, Astapor, thank you. Okay. Chaining her dragons when after, I think it was Drogon, who accidentally killed the like, child. Yeah, the shepherders. Because uh, that was her deterrence. The sheepherders. To keep people in check was her dragons. Mm-hmm. One time Tyrion was right. Why are we chaining the dragons? Those are the symbol of the queen. That's what's keeping people in check because as much as she's loved by the free slaves, she's still feared by all the nobility in this, the right. city. I understand like her reservation of how having the dragons run free and killing innocent people, you don't take away your deterrence. You just accept the collateral damage. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Her biggest mistake was sentencing Mosador. He was the representative uh, representing the now free slaves. His death sentence. No one told her how to read a room. (laughs) I understand her point of view that a crime's a crime. We can't make up exceptions. However, you have to look at the situations. And I feel like she should have shown mercy. And I think that's the one thing that was never taught to her is how to show mercy. Everything's always done with a heavy hand because she's a Targaryen. That's what's expected of her. There seemed like a lot with Danny where she was like when the uh, 13, she seemed, you know, shocked by some of the, the reactions, especially when they all, I can't remember which character like killed the other 12 and it's like Zaro, Zaro Dar, yeah. Doth. They say it so carefully in the show. And I, yeah, I can't remember exactly how to say it. Yeah. Zaro's his first name for sure though. But that whole arc, like she seemed, you know, she kept thinking that she was getting on top of things and then they kept kind of turning on her and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like, maybe that's why she stayed tough and she didn't want to yeah. give in a little bit. And so like, there had just been times when in the past or even the Maggie, the, the witch, yeah. the witch mm-hmm. that 
had that had foretold her dying and, and having her uh, her uh, child die. Those were all times when I think that she was trying to compromise a little bit, and then she just kept getting pushed back to that absolute the the absolutism of of like you're saying, Romeo, leaving the dragons out, letting the collateral damage happen because that's how you rule. You accept mm-hmm. that you have as a ruler, you have to accept that some of your subjects are going to mm-hmm. die. You're going to send soldiers to war that are going to you know the unsullied were okay doing it, but what happens when it's it's a child? You know, what right. happens? so like that's where her humanity was trying to come in a little bit, but kind of like John, his humanity was, he had to kind of suppress that mm-hmm. to a degree. Maybe Danny did as well. And this is, is about what it takes to, to play the Game of Thrones. Especially <laughs> once we came to Westeros at Dragonstone, Tyrion kind of, dare I say, shut the bed on more than one occasion. Losing the Iron Fleet, Dorne, and Highgarden, which resulted in Danny having to go after the Lutrain mm-hmm. and showing no mercy. She had no other choice. I think she's painting in the corner where if I take away the money and all the spoils from Highgarden, if I can have them, sincerely can get them either. Rightfully so. Should she have burned the Tarleys? I'm going to say yes. Even Dickon? Yeah. He didn't bend the knee. Fair enough. I would have taken Dickon prisoner, but yeah, I, 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 I get it. He would never change his position because that was, that's the last thing his father said to him. Dad gave a certain symbol don't bend the knee right. and he would have been resistant Danny doesn't have time for prisoners at this point she's on a mission fair enough what about burning them alive that's her thing that's yeah, yeah. yeah that's to, me, thing. to me I think that's too she's harsh really, man no. like I, I get it but at the same time it's like you're in Westeros this because is not their custom it was a harsh scene but that's a story that you can tell yeah Cersei cuts throws a big deal she's the power of a dragon to get it done okay. Cersei doesn't have that that spreads fear to all the other houses thinking about rising against her no that's fair it's good argument purposely, purposely kept some people alive to tell the story they all go back and they're questioning whether or not what's Cersei going to do? Because they saw the quote-unquote scorpion in action the first time, didn't do anything. Danny would, the violence would be to send a message, like it was purposeful. I had a hard time watching Dick and get burned. Like, I, mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, that's just a little overkill. Like, but this looks like a character that was going to, we were going to, uh, Sam's brother, we thought we were going to have some mm-hmm. sort of, like, some dialogue. There was going to be something where he... No, he laughed at him when Sam came home. He deserved it. Yeah. That's not fair. That was Freddy Stroma. That wasn't... It wasn't, that wasn't, wasn't Hot Harley. Uh... It, wasn't, it wasn't Hot Harley. I get it. But Cersei, like she seemed to relish causing pain to people like on an individual. Oh, yeah. When she had the priestess. Uh, uh, Septa her. Ulnas, Sept- I think. She didn't just take her out. Like Cersei didn't just take her out. She strapped her down and then had the mountain come in and rape her and, you know, and do whatever was off camera that we didn't necessarily yeah. see. Drown her. Um, yeah. Uh, drown her. And, stuff. and so like there was just a lot of and that wasn't a public thing or having the sand snake, having her chained and then having her mom watch her die and mm-hmm. watch her decompose and everything like that wasn't a public thing that wasn't to send a message that was more about revenge that was more about personal satisfaction yeah danny i think seemed more a little more reluctant she did it for those reasons which yeah, and, it was more more grandiose yeah, than and, personal. and to be fair she gave him a shot mm-hmm. bend the knee surrender yeah. they refused Tyrion's okay. always asking for mercy and she's like hey but every time <laughs> she shows mercy or compromises which leads me to my second point trusting that cersei was sent to help to fight the long night mm-hmm. because in that time she got the gold company and Daenerys lost half her forces. Stupid move. And also letting Jamie Lannister walk right in because she should have killed him. Rightfully so. I mean, not only crimes against trying to kill her after Lutri, but he tried to kill Bran. Was I'm kind of like surprised by Sansa. Not putting more of an objection. Yeah, but Bran met him at the, as he walked in. So it's in a way a- that it's silly, but it's it was a way to kind of get around that arc, I think. But to have Bran say, hey, he's okay for this, you know, this round or he's okay to 
be here in the battle or brand new, he was going to end up dying anyway. And so it was just like, ah, oh, yeah, it's not going to make a difference. So I agree with you. Like it just, it didn't make sense. That whole Jamie thing didn't, as much as I liked seeing Jamie go up right. there and doing the right thing for once. And the hookup with Brianna was a little silly, but almost like predictable. Like you almost didn't want to see that happen because that seemed like, because it, it didn't seem very Game of Thrones for it to happen. You knew it would <laughs> Basically it's reverting back to old Jamie. It kind of threw away all the character development. Yeah. If they were had maybe a conversation rather than sleeping together would have been better. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she writes in the, the book of all the previous Knights Kingsguard thing favorably to Jamie pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> like he he used her. He did. They didn't mention the fact that he fathered two of the kings of Westeros. He just died by his queen. And it's funny you say that because that was actually never confirmed to the people. That's still just speculation. My favorite insults from Nana Tyrell is Marjorie's the queen. I, I know in your family it gets kind of confusing, but you're not the queen. <laughs> love, love classic Nana Tyrell. Yeah, Tyrion betrayed Danny. He told everyone. John's the real heir to the throne, which again, it was just to circumvent her character growth and make her insecure. Granted, people asking how did, I think even you texted me saying, how did Varys just turn on Daenerys quickly? Which during the feast, Varys was looking at, it's kind of spying on Daenerys in a sense, looking at her reaction, seeing how she reacts to John being loved by the people, something that she can never claim. And I think something you brought up too was the North were kind of dicks because they didn't give her credit because without Daenerys, they all would have been dead. They all yeah. would have been White Walkers. Yeah. And then Daenerys had to clean up the mess. Granted, she would have been safe on Dragonstone. And she should have waited out. To be honest, she should have waited out. Yeah. yeah. If I have one criticism about the North is that if you're not from the North, then they don't care about you. you know, they, they really are uh, uh, prejudiced towards like <laughs> outsiders. Like, no, you're, you're all Westerosi. Like, why, why are you so like, but, why but, do you but, hate but, anyone but, who comes in? It's, but it's interesting. But it goes back to the history that you don't talk it's about. It's all history. Independent kingdom. They were independent kingdom until the uh, Targaryens pretty much put them into the fold. Which yeah. again, Dorne was sort of like this weird thing where they were kind of independent, but they were still folded in. Yeah, I get it. And then what happened to Brendan Stark and then what happened to Ned and, and then uh, assumingly for a long time what happened to Sansa and Arya and they had every right to hate anyone that they consider to be an outsider so that, that makes sense uh-huh. yeah the one part of the north I really was disappointed they didn't get into was the Reed's dad I know had, like, it just seemed <laughs> like they were setting that up then he was going to show up at some point and say like hey I know what's going on and right? then there was just nothing, nothing. not um, even Mira came back for the, the long night either it's crazy to me <laughs> that you have a living character who knows the truth and we never meet this character we meet his kids we meet his kids yeah. yeah and it's like so we get confirmation from Bran who is like an alien now and yeah. it's just like what he says is just automatically deemed as truth right. instead of like getting someone who was actually there yeah. well, who can come to Winterfell too. Right. Yeah, yeah. and confirm, confirm it but they confirmed it with uh, Sam the Citadel because he read that that's um, true the end of the marriage door. but what did Danny say who's John's friend Sam yeah. Sam right. has incentive to and lie it, about this even right. though Sam has not been known as a liar but still they have the, the <laughs> confrontation about her killings and it's Tarly yeah. he's a Tarly so yeah. she, kills, yeah. she, she can't kills. trust a that's true that's true she, she's learned she can't trust a Tarly granted so, she's never met Sam but still Helen Ryu could have solved some problems here. Right. <laughs> and I think if they didn't put themselves in such a timetable I think they would have explored all those options which leads to the sacking of King's Landing this is Tyrion's fault so Daenerys had a strong plan infiltrating the Stricken Tunnels did it at Marine and then again a Casterly Rock Tyrion knows he told Jamie the secret passageway to sneak in and out of the Red Keep mm-hmm. 
but not Daenerys. Oh, we're just going to just fly your dragon with all the scorpions and hope you don't get shot down and fight the gold army straight. Tyrion is the reason why King's Landing is cinders. If he would have told that to Daenerys and Jon, they could have swiftly dealt with Cersei. And there was no need to bring in her dragon. Granted, I too would burn down King's Landing for Masande because they did her dirty. I've been thinking about this and I think it would have been actually pretty cool if they sent Grey Worm to go assassinate Cersei. Or Arya. You could have sent your two best assassin. Would have been a weird pairing, but it would have been interesting. But, no, and you also sent in Sander <laughs> because we need Clegane Bowl. We've been promised Clegane uh, Bowl okay, okay. for a long time. Okay. And we could have got our final fight okay. between the two brothers either way. And just for shits, bring in Dario. Let's get Dario one more last time. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's my last big mistake on, on Daenerys' part too. Listening to Tyrion and leaving him behind. He should have been with her. Because I think if anyone who's to calm her down would have been him. I yeah. think he would yeah, have said, true. you don't destroy everything you built for Masonic. Masonic wouldn't want that. Because mm-hmm. Masonic was the first true believer of the bunch besides Jorah. And if anyone who could have talked her into not destroying King's Landing would have been him. And I understand why they, why they sent him back. They kept him in Marine Because one, they need a ruler there to make sure that they can fall back to the old system. And two, they need to get John and Daenerys hooking up again and cause problems and later to be the Mad Queen. I get that plot. I remember there were theories too that they may be going to have him infiltrate the, the Golden, uh, the Golden company. Company, yeah, company and then sort of destroy them from within. Never happened disappointed. <laughs> Danny didn't fail. She did what she had to do. Compensating for the failure of the advisors. Granted, she chose those advisors. I get that. But she had to fix, she had to rectify those problems. She did the best of her ability. I think if any of those characters were in her position, I mean, Cersei blew up the set for funsies, essentially. <laughs> she didn't have to. Uh, I did think in that moment, I was like, the only way she's going to get out of this is if she like massacres a bunch of, and sure enough, like, she did. because it's just such a bold thing. You're wiping out the Tyrells. You're wiping out the High Sparrow. You're, is, you're, you're killing the queen, which led to Tommen's suicide. Yeah, which is a problem that she caused herself. Yeah. She's the one who invited the, the High Sparrow on his, and she initiated, she brought in by her order under Tommen to get the Faith Militant back and up and running again. Her walk of atonement brought me joy. <laughs> so was Cersei a, was she an effective ruler? No. Yeah. And, no. and that's, see, no. that's mixed too, because if they had more seasons, I feel like we would have gotten more of a sense of how Kingsley felt about Cersei. Because we got instances where she had the mountain pretty much kill people who made fun of her mm-hmm. during her Walk of Atonement. But you saw everyone's face during the coronation. However, they were cheering during the uh, Queen's victory, I think, the episode, the Queen's Justice, where she was parading um, Yara, Ileana, oh, right, right. on the Sand Snakes. We saw them cheering, which I don't know is the victory because now they're safe or they're celebrating that, yay, we secured the reign of Cersei Lannister. Mm-hmm. Once we lost our main characters and they're all on Daenerys' side, we've lost any objective of what's really happening at Kingsland outside of Cersei's little bubble, which is kind of a shame. So the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> like, essentially, we have nothing to go on, but just through that scene of people somber that she's now the queen, but then again, they also lost their king. So it's coinciding at the same time and the sapped blowing up too, which, what's the story there? How did she explain the sapped of Baylor blowing up? I don't think she cared by that point, right? I mean, she she was totally fine with seeing, having her handmaiden seeing that Jamie spent the night in their bed, you know? Well, at so... that point where she made all her handmaidens into like mini versions of herself, That's true. forcing them to That's cut true. their hair like her. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, that was a nice touch. She's I gotta full admit. Vader. She's full Vader yeah. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, her, like, she got her stormtroopers. She's good. And her Sith apprentices were good. Yeah. She deserves a better 
her death. I wanted much more violent uh, death than <laughs> I wanted Arya to kill her or Sansa. I got my good death with Sansa feeding Ramsay to the hounds. So I'm good. All right. So we're winding down here. So I just want to run through some of my favorite high points and just any other straight observations that we have. The battles. I love the battles, man. I remember watching it in Battle of the Blackwater for the first time and thought, holy crap, this is incredible. Like You just don't expect this from television production at the time. And it still actually might be my favorite battle. Battle of the Bastards is, is just chaotic. I guess you could say it feels the most visceral, the most real because of, of just like clashing and the chaos around. That's how battles were back in the day. You know, it's just you don't know who's who. And you're just you're just trying to it's luck if you're if you end up alive by the end of it, which in John's case was very lucky, which I texted Romeo. I'm like, I'm just amazed Davos survived. The, right. the battle. I mean, this guy's not is not battle driven, you know. But yeah, every battle I thought was done well, even the long night I thought was done pretty well. It was more like plot things that I had some issues with, like but the what? battle itself. What? What plot things? The prophecies didn't bother me. Like Arya killing the Night King. I was like, whatever, you know, prophecies are always misinterpreted. Prophecies right. can just straight up be false. I mean, I watched Star Wars. Dothraki looked like they were all dead or at least 90% of them, but somehow there was still a decent amount by the end of the series. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how that happened. Arya, I mean, I was fine with everything with Arya. Sam on the ground, Walkers all around him and still surviving. I had a problem with that. Jamie being one handed and I can barely fight one person, but he can he can fight a a horde coming at him. Uh, Dolores said getting done dirty. He got killed really fast. I was really bummed out about that. Yeah. So just little things. I mean, it's it's more of a nitpick more than anything else. But yeah, Battle of the Bastards is great. Blackwater was just fantastic. I love Mm -hmm. I love the line where after the wildfire explosion was just an outstanding visual for one. Them getting on their on their um, on the boats and Stannis saying like, let's go storm the gate. And one of the soldiers is like, hundreds will die. And, and Stannis is just like quiet. And he, and he says thousands. And I'm just, oh, what a <laughs> badass. Like this guy is such a freaking leader. I mean, say what you want about Stannis. That guy is a badass. Right. Like he, he deserved it. Like if he was king, it's, it's not from the lack of effort. Like he this, would have been an effective ruler. He probably. would have been a yeah. very effective ruler. Mm-hmm. And like imagine being so unliked by everybody. Like he was the rightful heir, but everyone's like, yeah, but Stannis kind of sucks though. Like <laughs> His own brothers don't even like him, you know, uh, and Robert even openly admits, he's like, I don't even like my brothers. You know, I wish I wish Ned was my brother. And that's basically why he's trying to get his his kid married to Sansa, you know. But yeah, yeah, I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. The battle at the wall was really great. Those make for some great chapters because it spans days, that battle. How they shot it and did it in one night was still really, really good. It's definitely stark contrast from the first season. Yeah. Where all the battles were off screen. Yes, yes, exactly. So you just kind of saw the aftermath of them. Which I thought was a great choice. Mm -hmm. But it made the Battle of Blackwater really resonate. And again, especially like you were saying, it's when the ship exploded Mm -hmm. and then you just saw all the other ships. Yeah. Saw the effect and saw the scale Mm -hmm. as you've been talking, you've been looking at these characters from their their perspective the whole time and then you pan out kind of like the battle of the bastards at the end where you see the circle and you see the yeah. circle form and then you mm-hmm. feel oh wait a minute this then you feel real claustrophobic and you and then you're in tight with john and who's getting you know just piled up with bodies and stuff and so yeah you you end up feeling the scale of it but also the intimacy of being a participant in it as well and mm-hmm. so i think that they were presented very well i agree with that for mm-hmm. sure hard home was great in the sense where you just didn't know it was coming you're just watching a normal episode a good episode and then all of a sudden boom Boom, there they are. And there they are. You see the White Walkers on high on top of the mountain. 
just falling just, and just, came back up. Yeah. yeah, but that episode did indicate to me that I did wonder how they were going to do the long night because I was thinking they just keep coming. Yep. How do you stop this when they just keep coming? And so that's why I had some issues with the long night because of what they set up to get to that point. Felt very unrealistic to me that they would be able to get through a battle like that. But they did. And I will say all of those complain about the lighting in that episode. I feel like this episode was ahead of its time because I think TVs now can handle the different hues better. Mm-hmm. You can clearly see. Because I remember when I was watching on my old TV. Yeah, I had triple. I mentioned it to you when we were reviewing it. It was hard to see the old TV, these newer TVs. Oh, yeah, crisp. I didn't have any of those complaints with my rewatch. That's what I need to do. I need to go back and watch it on my, my newer TV. Yeah. There we go. And set it yeah. to dynamic or something. Yeah, you that's what happens. I did. Made it, it made all the difference. You guys have any other stray observations or any other things that we didn't touch on that you want to point out? I could talk about this all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't talked about the, you know, the new show. I mean, we talked about the new show a little bit. So yeah. just going back to the original show, it's mm-hmm. that last season was hard to swallow just because of everything that had come before it. But I want to go back and see it again with perspective. And I mm-hmm. hope that over time that it plays out. And then it'll be interesting to go watch after, you know, the books eventually right. come out. George passes this, along. Right. You know? <laughs> and, books, yeah. and then we get the last and he's got to end up you know, having five books instead of, you know, the two that he, you know, that he says he's getting. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a world that I want to go to. I just hope it doesn't get diluted through uh, mm-hmm. too much media uh, mm-hmm. it, where it just gets you end up having the dragons, you know, baby dragon shows and, you know, let's just have kids shows and stuff. It just it just right. gets to the point where like this <laughs> oh, is an boy, adult. Something. This is definitely yeah. an adult. Stress babies. Can we see? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as we were as we were talking about, you know, earlier on, this is an adult show and sometimes you need adult themes and you need to be mm-hmm. able to like reference history and be able to differentiate between the gore and the sex and know what's made for TV and for titillation and what's made for good storytelling. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And so like that type of show and, and having that around is and having that available during that period of time, whether we find that again or not, I'm glad it was there for that little period of time when it's been said that this was kind of a golden age of, of television coming off mm-hmm. of the Sopranos and coming in. And, and now we're getting to the point where it's, we're just saturated with right. you know some new stuff, uh, some good stuff here and there. But really it's derivative from shows like Game of Thrones mm-hmm. that some say were derivative from Lord of the Rings and and, right. and other things, but really was his own, What it, it, it was its own beast. And, and Martin even says that. I mean, I could also talk about Martin's other works as well, which, you know, like we talk about how he's, he needs to focus on this stuff as well. But like Windhaven was a great book. That's a world I would want to go explore almost like I did Game of Thrones, but he just wrote it the one novel. So, yeah. <laughs> right. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Daenerys burning all the calls down. Probably one of the most badass things he's probably done in the whole entire show. Her telling her like, yeah, who's going to lead the Dothraki? I am. You're not going to be around to live with it. Start the saying it's on fire and walking out unburnt. And there were questions of people that if she did that scene nude again and, and she, she came did. out, she's like, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah she did. Um, David, look, just to make sure you research. I remember that. And I just shook my head at you like, really, David? But it was to show power. I mean, the yeah. nudity had yeah. a purpose. There. Yeah. Like it was, and, and, that's what she, and that's what she talked about in interviews, yeah. too. Amelia Clark was like, in the beginning, she didn't know how to say no, that I don't want to do this. And then he was being more selective if it was justifying the storytelling. And she said, yeah, I wanted to do it and not have a body double because when uh, Cersei did her Walk of Atonement, they had a body double mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Nina Headley. And there's actually behind the scenes footage where she's wearing sort of like a nude bikini mm-hmm. in between takes. Yeah. And the biggest reason she wanted that was because she really wanted to focus on her acting and not have to worry about also being naked at the same right. time. Yeah. So uh, very strong 
strong acting choice for her. The end of Peter Baelish is probably one of the most satisfying deaths <laughs> on this show. But we're thinking that his machinations worked putting Sansa against Arya and then mm-hmm. at the end finally making him pay for all his crimes because he's the reason why Ned is dead. He's the one who conspired with uh, Sansa's aunt in the area to kill John Aaron. Yeah. John Aaron. He's the reason um, Joffrey's dead. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. It, it was beautifully done. And of course, the simple scene in the episode of The Climb where it's a Tywin and Oleana sizing each other up, throwing insults at each other, accusing each other of the rumors that Loris is gay and having an affair with Runley. What was it? And I think um, Oleana said, oh, you haven't been in camps. At least we're not producing incestuous children <laughs> that, are, that may be, may not be heirs to the throne. Brilliance. And the uh, insults with grace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, and she I mean, knows how that conversation is going in because she knows I, how smart Tywin is. Yeah. She just wants to see if I he mean, can get there. And he master, does. It's a master class in acting between Charles Dance and Dan Rigg. And whenever those two are on screen, they grab your attention as they should. That's the Had, beauty of the show because we get moments like this in the show where we would never get in the books because they are not point of view characters. So it, it really I mean, adds so much. We, we skipped over Tywin's introduction of him. What was it? Butchering a stag? It's a great Brilliant. scene. Should we go into our disappointments in the show? Dorn. Dorn, Dorn was oh. when I was like, oh no. That, that, that was the moment where I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is where I'm going to drop off. And I think we found a solution for this. Dorn should have been either a spinoff series or kind of a mini series where that whole storyline should have been devoted just to Jamie and yeah. Bronn having dedicated miniseries of what's happening in Dorne mm-hmm. and fleshing out Dorne and the Sand Snakes which is a crime because all those actresses they cast are brilliant yeah. and they gave them nothing to do on screen they set them up uh, as a really strong force in the, in the book and it just was very disappointing uh, where they ended up with it I mean the book they had there were more there were more than three there were yeah, like six yeah. Ariane I think is the main one that mm-hmm. we kind of focus on who seems like a very interesting character yeah. and when they didn't bring her into the series I was like they're really going to cut corners she's Dorn, a perspective character she, yeah she's right. a perspective character yeah. Dorn was interesting but but yeah I kind of like I was interested but I was kind of like I want to go back to the northern part of it like sure. I, I, like there's a story to tell here with the fountain and the, the kids swimming and stuff and I like, said so there's definitely something there and the sand snakes were were set up to be very interesting but like the TV show just the whole Braun and Jamie adventure was just kind of silly and that fight that they had was like it was not staged very well it wasn't <laughs> yeah. blocked very well just, yeah like no but there was no sense of danger it seemed very rushed and yeah I, I agree that, that I like the idea of a, of a Dorn side series yeah Jamie and Braun I mean the Basically, I think the show is just looking for an excuse to keep Bronn around. By that point, Bronn's story is pretty much done in the books after Tyrion's trial. But he was such a loved character and Jerome Flynn's so likable in the series. And, you know, they just look for reasons to keep him around. And yeah, Jamie's plan is stupid. Like going to Dorne and getting Marcella. Like, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. No, and, I, and I loved his reaction after the long night where he meets up with Jamie and, and Tyrion. He goes, fracking Lannisters. Always cleaning up after your crap. Yeah. And then when Tyrion says, well, we can use someone who knows. He goes, no. He stops him mid sentence. I'm done. Slaps fighting. him. He yeah, slaps Tyrion, and was, Jamie's about to get up, and he's like, "Not on your best day, could you take me?" He's like, "You sit your ass back down," yeah. you know. And he's like, "And I'll need one Lannister too." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love uh, that. I love that. Brian was finally standing up for. He's like, "No, I'm not taking this shit anymore." Yeah, like, how many times have they made promises? <laughs> yeah, never got paid. Still hasn't got paid. Doesn't have a castle. 
Yeah, he didn't end up with High Garden, did he? He did oh, he get did. High Garden. He's Master of Coin. Okay. Yeah, and Master of Coin. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's yeah, right. It came out okay. Yeah, right. uh, pitching uh, brothels being uh, rebuilt back in King's Landing. <laughs> and then we got to get that story from how he once took it. There wasn't a donkey and a beehive into a brothel. Yeah, yeah. And we never see hear how the story ends. No. Yeah, Davos, Master of Ships. Great character. My yep. favorite. Padrick, somehow a knight. Good for him. Uh, talk about failing up. If you're well equipped for it, you just end up in that, uh, you know, and that's uh, Padrick had the. Uh, some traits that stray you know. observation don't remember what episode but i saw a couple girls who were part of the high garden group pointing out podrick and snickering or something yeah, like so that word got around that podrick is uh yeah, because, because there's an episode <laughs> where they yeah. wouldn't take payment for podrick and then they both ask the satirian and brown are like what the hell did you do that they wanted to take yeah, payment yeah. and we never found out no we and didn't and then that poor actor gets asked that question yeah. all the time in public <laughs> little old ladies grabbing him just to see what the fuss was about. John Bradley's been asked, why is Sam still fat? I mean, you freaking trek across the north, you know, all those terrain and, yeah, and all that armor and all that, all that, all, and just didn't shed the weight for sure. Yeah. They can't be eating that well up there. No, no. So I would be remiss in asking, what did we think of where all of our characters ended up? Are we satisfied? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, when you, when you guys asked me to be on this, I like, I haven't really thought about the show too much and especially how it ended. It ended and I was kind of like, okay, that's where it ended. And I guess this isn't under my control. I can understand why some some characters are where they're at. I wish some characters had different outcomes. I don't know. At at some point, I have to just kind of go with the show, except the Sansa choice. It makes sense. And it makes sense from her point of view. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense from keeping the North. But then it just seems like you still have a disjointed kingdom. It's almost like they're setting up conflict down the road when I was kind of hoping this would be the end. And it would be kind of a A compromise for Sansa. Yeah, it compromised, but still having some sort of closure on the quest for the throne. And I mm-hmm. thought that was kind of the, the overarching feel of the show and of the story. But again, the story's not done being told. I mean, George R. R. Martin still has some some room to tell. And again, mm-hmm. I, I still in the back of my mind think of the last season as just a trailer for mm-hmm. the following books where we're just seeing elements of it. And so I haven't let myself think about whether or not I'm happy with where the characters mm-hmm. are, because I don't know if that's where they that's where they end up. Final season in preparation for this podcast was the first time I, I rewatched the final season and this is coming from me who has rewatched all the seasons so many times now that I actually lost count that final season I, I'll fast with those first two episodes I think they're really good and I and I, like I said I like the long night a lot of things after that just you could see it falling apart for me and then um, I do like where most of, I'll say I will do like where most of the characters ended up I am one of those people who's not happy about Bran being king I feel like it's just a cop out and, you know it's yeah. it's an absolute cop out from making a hard decision of who really should be king on the throne, yeah. or who really should be on the throne. And so that that left me a sour taste in my mouth. Maybe if he wasn't such an alien by that point. Or that smug answer. What else do you think? I traveled up yeah. here. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, so he knew the whole time. That's. That's the After he said one. he can't be lord of anything. Which, granted, he can't be if he's king of <laughs> yeah. Westeros. Such a stupid technicality of wordplay thing. Yeah, but. Um, <laughs> it goes with what Tyrion said, how Jon is going to be sent back to the wall. No one was happy, so I guess we have a compromise. That's how I feel about the finale. No one's happy with the finale, not even the actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I mean, that line could have been a line specifically for the fans. For the fans. Yeah, yeah, because I remember, because I remember mm-hmm. Amelia Clark, and that's what was her reaction to reading the script she goes I cried and you can tell the way she said it she wasn't like tears like oh it's over I'm sad it's over like no I'm disappointed how it ended and you get that reaction for a lot 
lot of the actors, except for Brad. <laughs> they brought all those actors on stage for the Emmys, but the man who won the Iron Throne is in the audience sitting down with the rest of the cast. You put him on the stage, you cowards. Show what you did. You take your licks for what, for what you what How do you put us? the That's king funny. of Westeros in the audience and not with the rest of the cast on stage? That's really funny. The two people who I'm happy for is Sansa. She got what she wanted. She stuck to her guns and wouldn't happen if it was anyone else on the throne. Mm-hmm. And Bronn, he came out on top. Disappointed that Tyrion, Tyrion should have been sent to the wall. His punishment is the him. second most important job in Westeros. Yeah. <laughs> he should have gotten what he wanted, which is circle back to the first season, how he wanted to see the wall. Now he can live with the wall with Jon Snow. Final shot is just him pissing over the wall. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been perfect. That would have been perfect. Very symbolic how the fans feel about the final yeah. season. And no one brought up the fact that Jon's really a Targaryen. Half those notes made it to Westeros. We have a Targaryen. I can't listen how Grey Worm could not fall behind that and would want Jon's death because he killed Daenerys. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, all of Westeros could fall behind Jon, and they should. He's a Stark and a Targaryen. He has He's a claimant to the throne. thought it was funny that they made fun of Sanford saying that everyone in the kingdom should have a say who rules them because democracy... <laughs> That's hilarious. That was a nice line. Nice meta line there. But overall, yeah, it's okay. But yeah, I'm excited for House of the Dragon. I liked every trailer I've seen so far. I'm not disappointed that they canceled that show that didn't make it to series order, the one with Naomi Watts. It was so far removed. Yeah. It has yeah. a lot more magic. So and it's going to set up the first long night. Yeah. So it's just like, eh, I don't think we need to see that story. So I think they made the right move by going with House of the Dragon, putting their dragon A's in that basket. The Jon Snow series, clearly Kit Harington loved playing the character. I know he went through some hard times having to deal with after playing that character. John Bradley in interviews that I've seen, he clearly loved playing Sam and was sad that he has to put Sam behind him, but has also expressed that he loved to play Sam again one day. Maybe we see him in John's series. Yeah. Maybe we see the the Maesters of Westeros mockumentary. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm just glad that they're staying in the North for the spinoff. And, and I hope we see old Nan again. I really enjoyed her storytelling. I want to I want to see the spiders. I want to yeah. hear I want to hear some more about that. Like that's one thing I did look forward to with the, with the earlier season is that we might have had some of that. But mm-hmm. I remember that just that story when she was in that first season where she was telling that story about talking about the long night and everything that seemed interesting to me. We never saw the spiders. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting because there's two long seasons. There's winter and spring. So I'm kind of interested to see does the North change with the changing of the season of spring? And now there is no Night King. Does it affect the climate there too? And is there still a necessity of the wall? Which I doubt will answer those questions. But I am kind of wondering what are they going to cover? Because the Free Folk and John, I don't see a long running series. Maybe a mini series yeah. setting up something for the future. But I don't see it going as long as they House of the Dragon, where they have 200 years of stories that they can tell. Up until the point of the Mad King, because I think House of the Dragon is going to end with Robert's Rebellion. And sort of bring it full circle to the original series. If it's going really well, yeah, I think they'll Which go. I think it will. I, I think, think it will. It, I think it will. I mean, but yeah, I'm kind of interested to see if it even makes it out of pre-production. The answer could easily be never. John can be searching for Frog Island the whole time. The entire <laughs> season, the search for Frog Island. Yeah. So it's, just, it's just John, John, John in a swamp. John, John in a go. swamp. John in a swamp. <laughs> I think we did it. I think we talked about Game of Thrones. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Greg, thanks so much for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. This was fun. Man, it's so funny how much more we could have gone into. This would be like a multi-part 
episode if if we really wanted it to because it's like it's game of thrones man there's so so much so find much it, find a deep dive and, yeah. and focus on one question and we can do a deep dive i have to do a little more research on it because this, this is just what i kind of knew in the back of my head you know right um, right yeah a lot of the stuff i was going off of memory as well you know? but i ha- i remember periods of time when i was deep into the books and i had friends of mine that were reading the books and they would text me and they're just like what's going on here and i'd already been through the books two or three times and so i'm like well this was the you know i gotta remember this 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 and so like i'm trying to like help I mean, it's a tough read. It's a tough story. It's a, it's a very complicated story to get through. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes you need this analysis as well, which is what makes it a, a great story. It had all the elements to bring in a, a wide audience and it's worthy of, of discussion. Well, that does it. So listeners, stay tuned for final thoughts and mailbag. Welcome back. Game of Thrones, quite the daunting task in itself, but Binge Essentials' first milestone happened with this recording. Romeo, you and I were in the same room for it. I know, and I don't think it'll ever happen again. It might not. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you think of that experience being in the same room? I felt like there was less interrupting because there wasn't a delay on either one and anyone's side. And I felt like we bounced off better because we were able to see visual cues between you and I and Greg. Yeah, for me, it was, I wouldn't say a better experience, but it sort of enhanced it a bit. Where to me, it felt a little bit more organic because we were able to have the conversation flow a little bit better. I have noticed in the editing process that there is a lot less cutting of filling in those gaps or working around the talking over each other, the interruptions and all of that. Far less of that when it's happening in person. Yeah, it's made the editing process easier. It's also going to make this episode longer. For those who don't realize, we may be doing these final thoughts right now, but that actually doesn't mean that I'm done editing. I'm not done editing. (laughs) This is gearing towards being one of our longest, if not the longest episode that we've had. And you can't expect any less from a show like Game of Thrones. You think about all the good we talked about, all the characters we talked about, Mm -hmm. some of the story arcs. There's still a lot that we skipped over. But, you know, that's just how it goes. We don't like to do multi-part episodes. This certainly would have been the one that would have justified it the most. People who listen to this episode, I hope that they're already fans of the show. And those who haven't watched the show, boy, you're going to get a lot of things spoiled for you. But if at this point you don't care, then at the very least, I hope you enjoyed the discussion and encouraged you to maybe finally giving Game of Thrones a chance. Now we just need to get into some of our mistakes, elaborations that we may have uh, touched on throughout the episode. So Greg started talking about, he briefly mentioned Excalibur. He said that the film kind of inspired him to really enjoy fantasy, uh, not just in the film and television medium, but also reading fantasy novels. Excalibur is a big part of that. And Excalibur is a 1981 film directed by John Borman. It's a bit of a polarizing film. Like it was critically mixed in a way. It did okay at the box office. Mm-hmm. It spawned two documentaries. It, it is a beloved film. It does have its fans for sure. It was a very ambitious film, is basically where I'm trying to get at here. Just as some notable names Helen Murin, Liam Neeson, Game of Thrones veteran, Kieran Hines, 
Pitts played the King Beyond the Wall, Mance Radar. Mm -hmm. Gabriel Byrne is in it as well. Patrick Stewart is also in the film. With that voice, how can he not be? (laughs) How can he not, right? But yeah, if anyone wants to check out Excalibur, that's the one. So when we were talking about Olena Tyrell, Romeo and Greg were calling her Oleana. I did not correct them in the moment. Maybe I should have upon reflection, but (laughs) here we are. (laughs) So mispronunciations happen. Even the creators of the show get the names wrong, so I don't feel bad. I think the best way to how to go about on how these names are pronounced is just by going what the characters are calling each other on the show. As far as I can tell, all of the names are pronounced correctly. Even a tricky one, like some people will say Caitlin Stark and not Catelyn Stark, but in the show they say Catelyn Stark, which is the correct pronunciation in my opinion. Another name that was hard to figure out was one of the 13. We knew it was Zaro, but we didn't know the whole name. Well, is Zaro Zoan Daxos. They say very carefully on the show because it is a hard name to say so uh, comfortably. One of the 13 betrayed the 13 for his own greed and then met his end very, very brutally by Danny. What do you think, Romeo? Burned alive or starved to death in a safe, basically? Burned alive. <laughs> Burned I alive. Mean, yeah, I can't. I can't starve to death. Talk about the great pretender faking it until you made it, except he betrayed Daenerys Targaryen. Didn't expect her to get out of the House of the Undying and then, whoopsie, man said he had all this gold, had nothing in that safe, nothing. And last but not least, another name, name of the who was tortured by Cersei. Septa Unella was her name. That's the thing about the show. There are so many names and you'll even come across fans who can't remember some names. They'll just Like I just did. Like you, like you just did, you know? <laughs> That's just a common theme that comes with being a fan of the show unless you like truly invest in knowing who these people are, what their house histories are. It's a lot of work. Last thing. So we were talking about just the North in general and the White Walkers and everything, and the horn came up. Well, what is the horn? So thousands of years ago, Joramun, a king beyond the wall, supposedly blew the horn and woke giants from the earth. Free folk believe that blowing the horn can bring down the wall, and some maesters are skeptical of the horn's existence. That is the horn of winter. So the horn of winter is something that's come up in the book several times, and there's even it physically there, but even there's doubt to even if that horn can actually do what it says. This really interesting plot device that I'm waiting to see how it plays out. We'll see how that pans out in the book, but of course Mm -hmm. in the show there was no horn to be found. So I think that does it for our Game of Thrones discussion. Now it's time to move on. We can move on to our mailbag, but there is nothing in our mailbag. If you ever want to reach us though, you can always do it at bingeessentials at gmail.com. If you want to reach us on Instagram, find us there at bingeessentials. Find us on Facebook at bingeessentials as well. Instagram, you'll find me at David Rocha Bench, and you'll find Romeo at rmora02. And on Twitter, you'll find me at David Rocha Radio, and you'll find Romeo at rmora1. Time to tease next month's episode. Next month's episode is Lord of the Rings. That's right. We're going to be tackling the Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. That's it. We're not doing The Hobbit. Keeping it strictly to those three films, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. And joining us to talk about this trilogy is good friend of the show, Jim. Jamie Yinks back for the first time this year and won't be the last time this year as well. So we'll be teasing that in our next episode with the Rings of Power coming out next month. Trailers outside of that teaser, I've actually really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the show. I haven't started watching the movies yet again, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do something that I haven't done 
and that is watching the extended editions. I own those on DVD, which of course they're like two, three discs. You get more out of the extended versions because they cover more stuff. Is that the route you're going to prepare for the episode? Yes. Yeah, and I assume Jamie will do that as well. I think he'll go the extended films route. So it should be a fun discussion. Well, I'll, I'll see brand new things that I've never seen before. Uh, we'll see how much of that sticks for me and if I'll bring it up in the discussion. So, all right, so that does it. We want to thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you guys next month.